From war across the globe to regulating speech to printing trillions of dollars, the American regime accepts no limits on its power. As Ludwig von Mises understood, the state will take as much power as the people will let it. And in recent years, the American regime has clearly concluded it can get away with unilaterally adopting vast new powers. Join Michael Rechtenwald, Ted Galen Carpenter, Jonathan Newman, and more for a Mises Institute event in Nashville, Tennessee on September 23rd, dedicated to this siege of power and one of Ron Paul's favorite lines, truth is treason in the empire of lies. Tickets begin at $95. Use code HA23 for $45 off admission. Get yours at Mises.org slash Nashville 23. This is the Human Action Podcast, where we debunk the economic, political, and even cultural myths of the days. Here's your host, Dr. Bob Murphy. Ryan, welcome back to the Human Action Podcast. It's great to be with you, Bob. So the topic for this episode is... It involves the Oliver Anthony song, but more specifically the, what should I call it? The smug reaction to it from some uh, libertarian quarter. Well, some of these people, I don't know if they call themselves libertarian, but people who generally are are on the camp of economic freedom. Uh, Specifically, we have a piece from Reason and then Tyler Cowen uh, responding to it in a very uh, dismissive manner. And so I guess before we dive into the details, is there anything you want to say at the outset on this, Ryan? Uh, well, <laughs> just that I, I don't understand the impulse, why they feel the need to write these articles. I mean, it's just it, so some guy writes a song saying times are hard. What, what, what inside a person makes them feel, well, I need to write a column saying times aren't hard. I mean, yeah. at, even at any time in history, times are hard for some people. So who cares if they're writing some, some songs saying times are hard? So just the, the whole context of the whole thing strikes me as a bit odd, but, but that's where we are right now. And, I, I, and yeah, well, I th- guess we'll just dissect that a little bit uh, today. Okay. Yeah. So maybe in terms of chronological order, it'll be make more sense to start with the reason piece. And so here the author is, I hope I'm not butchering the name, Christian Brichchi. So I apologize, Christian, if I'm butchering your name, but I don't apologize for my criticism of the article. Um, and so here, let me just, again, this it, it's, I'm assuming for the purposes of this discussion, Ryan, that the, the listener would have heard of Oliver Anthony's song. If not, this is going to be kind of mysterious. So you need to stop listening right now and go listen to the song. Of course, we'll put a link in the show notes page in case you have no idea what we're talking about. But here is uh, the, the title and the subtitle are just, again, if, if we could somehow extract the smugness from this, we could have uh, clean energy. So the title is <laughs> Fun, Silly, Anti-Tax Ballad, Rich Men North of Richmond Goes Viral for Some Online Reasons. Okay. And then the subtitle says, if you don't take Oliver Anthony's surprise hit song too seriously, it's a lot of fun. Regrettably, a lot of people are taking the song much too seriously indeed. I really like that last indeed on there to make sure we know that, no, this isn't just I'm complaining about something. This is very serious that people are paying so much attention to this guy's song. And actually, Ryan, to answer what you said, I think that's partly what it is. If this guy had released his song and nobody made a stir about it, Tyler Cowen and this guy Christian wouldn't have reacted, but 
it's because so many people are making a fuss that I think it's their role now to come in and say, hang on, let's not get over, you know, let's not get too worked up about this. It actually isn't as good as all of you people are saying. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that's correct, right? Like how many endless blue songs are there about how terrible life is and uh, few people feel the need to uh, tell, you know, in those days, right? Hey, Skip James, uh, you just wrote that song about how miserable life is in your small town, but things are fine here in 1931 America for some of us. So you're right. I think it's <laughs> it's just the fact that people are making a big deal uh, out of the song. Um, but I just don't see a big problem with the song and why you would write an article to separate yourself from it. Now I should note, of course, just the cynical view is having been an editor and writing columns like this. Part of it, I'm sure is just motivated from, Hey, I bet we can get a lot of clicks and hits if we write a, a song where the search engine directs people to read this, this article, uh, based on this popular song. So that's probably part of it too. But, uh, it's not just the hook at the beginning of the article. Both articles spend a lot of time just trying to convince you that everything in the economy is fine and that people who complain about it are just wrong and they don't understand how wrong they are uh, about how wonderful things are in the country today. And so it's it's not just, hey, let's mention the song to get some clicks. It's they're really going all in on telling you why complaints about the state of the economy are inaccurate. Yeah. And in particular on this, it's not just the economy too. So this again, Christian Britschke, I'm just going to say Christian from a, not because he and I are in a first name basis, but because I at least don't want to keep butchering his last name. Um, But yeah, just the, I don't even know what, how to describe it, but it's just the tone of this. He says, uh, so remember folks, or if you don't know, there's lines in the song where he said, I wish politicians would care about miners rather than miners on, on an island or an Epstein's island, something like that. OK. And and so here's how this guy Christian responds to that. Um, this is the second paragraph from his article released late last week. The song features a solo Anthony on his guitar as he belts out with great sorrow and personal hurt lyrics complaining about the falling value of the dollar, the heavy burden of taxation welfare recipients' purchase of junk food, and the sex trafficking shenanigans of Jeffrey Epstein. So that, like, oh, you silly goose, you. You rascal, you. (laughs) Why I ought to, if I catch you again with my daughter who's 13, oh. And it's just, so again, the way that they're having, I, I get what they're trying to do, right? Like you're saying, you know, like, oh, People like Matt Walsh are praising this, so we know it must be goofy and it's not as sophisticated as, you know, the sorts of things that we dabble in. And so, oh, there you go again, talking about Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> but just, again, notice the, the what this is pushing them into having to to type. It's It's sort of amazing. Well, it was that whole thing about uh, suddenly all these these rash of articles coming out saying that uh, sex trafficking isn't nearly as a big deal as you've been told because right. they didn't like the fact that that um, that movie about sex trafficking, The Sound of Freedom, yeah, was right. popular among right wingers. So there were actually journalists feeling the need to say, "Oh, you're you're thinking too much about child sex trafficking. Uh, you're overblowing the problem." I, bizarre that someone would think an article needs to be written saying the problem of child sex trafficking is overblown and shouldn't be mentioned as much. Uh, and so I guess it's the same impulse here. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, 
All right, so here and and part of the backstory is just to give an idea. So the I just checked. I I think I was looking at like the official. You know, you know how on YouTube sometimes like people do copycats and whatever. But I think I was looking at the the, the source, and that one had fifty seven million views. And it's as we're recording this, the song has only been out for three weeks. So to get fifty seven million views, and in the comments too, it was. I, I mean, I can't. I didn't go and verify the IP addresses or whatever, but it it seems to be on the surface that this is a global phenomenon that people from around the world are chiming in and saying like, Oh yeah, I'm from Australia and I know our cultures are different, but I hear you brother. And people from all over, you know, so that, that whatever, for whatever reason, we can discuss that in a minute, perhaps like this has struck a nerve. And again, that it's now for whatever reason, the uh, official libertarian Inc folks in, in the DC beltway feel the need to, uh, well, and maybe that's going to be part of it. Like as, as we come around that perhaps the people at reason and Tyler, I mean, Tyler explicitly says, we'll get to his piece in a minute that, Hey, I'm a rich man North of Richmond. And I, I resemble that remark, you know, so it could partly be that they're viewing it as a, as a critique of them. But, um, I'm, I'm trying to see here just to see what this reasons, you know, what, what's the actual beef besides saying, Oh yeah, sure. Who among us hasn't trafficked, uh, minors on an Island. Um, well, he does note that some uh, some Democrats have mm-hmm. actually attempted to uh, say that uh, they they're sympathetic to the song, and uh, he specifically notes Chris Murphy, a uh, member of Congress from Connecticut, uh, who says that yeah, there's a lot of these things wrong with the world, but the Democratic Party has all the best solutions to these problems. So actually, the song should be considered an anthem of. Democrat progressivism uh, and economic uh, populism rather than these right-wingers thinking that there's some grievance here that uh, they can solve. And I think he just notes that as an illustration of people noting overall that people are uncomfortable with the state of the economy, whether they're left or right, because even Murphy's feels that he has to admit that there's a problem there. And it doesn't, and the author just doesn't, the author of the reason piece doesn't seem to like that. It, it, yeah, exactly. And the, but and he, what's interesting I, again, I'm, I'm looking through here, trying to come up with a specific critique besides just like, oh yeah, like I, you know, this guy rubs me the wrong way, or why are we putting so much uh, stock in this? And one specific objection, he says, sure, one might quibble with the idea that food stamps are primarily responsible for driving up taxes and inflation, even if they are spent on fudge rounds. And I, you know, I hate to be the actually, that's not what Oliver Anthony is saying. So, yeah, he's complaining about the the inflation, you know, saying the dollar's not worth anything and the taxes are eroding it. And then as a, I view it as a as a separate complaint, he is saying we got people starving in the street and tax dollars are being used to fund obese people. And then he goes into, you know, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. So I don't think Oliver Anthony was saying we can attribute 18.7% of the CPI increase to this particular... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like it's that. that I agree. I don't think he was constructing an argument to illustrate his initial contention that inflation is high, and here are the reasons why. Yes, exactly. So even on its own terms, I think that this reason piece is like a swinging and missing. Um, (laughs) What what else can we say? I mean, we can move on to Tyler. There's not much to this reason piece. It's not as detailed as the Tyler Cowen piece. It's just basically saying. That, uh, okay, there's a lot of folk songs that complain about the state of the world, 
Um, and these populists, uh, look, look at these silly things they say. And the song's kind of not too bad as a folk song. Just don't take it seriously. It seems that everything in the article is really just filler and fluff to get you from, uh, point A to point B, which is that, oh, this song exists, but don't take it seriously. It, it, it's the entire thesis is don't take this song seriously. Yes. It might be a nice folk song, but just don't pay any attention yeah. to it. Look, look, look away. There's nothing right. to, to see here. Yeah. Let me, before we move out, yeah, let me read this one other excerpt. It says, sad country songs speaking to poverty and social. Oops. Is it anime? Am I saying that word right? Um, didn't start so. with with food stamps. I wouldn't have begun reading this if I knew there was a word in there that I went look foolish. <laughs> uh, didn't start with food stamps and Epstein didn't kill himself memes. Something tells me that the people who kept going and he goes on. So again, even that to him, like I, I, there was this guy who who was in being held because it was well known and admitted by all parties that he and very powerful people in government and business. We're going to this island somewhere trafficking in underage girls. And then this guy died under extremely mis- uh, suspicious circumstances while in custody. And that's not a joke. You know, I mean, it's it's turned into it. But I mean, again, it's <laughs> that is a serious right. thing. Like, so <laughs> somebody talking about that in a song, it shouldn't be like, oh, there you guys go again. Ha ha. Yeah, it's it's just strange what they're trying to discount here. Um, and that what the world doesn't need a song that suggests that there's something deeply wrong with our political system. Um, I, what it would seem that if you were going to write an article about this song, you maybe w- would note and which will actually some of the things I'll mention here is that, oh, yeah, well, maybe some parts of the country aren't doing as well as others. And are there certain socioeconomic groups that have gotten a raw deal in the current state of our economy? I, I would see that as a very fruitful and enlightening discussion uh, touched off by this song, instead of look at all these stupid rubes that think there's a bunch of stuff wrong with the ruling class, and uh, let's move on because it's no, it's nothing more than than a funny lark. Yeah. Okay, so let's now, maybe we'll get some more meat in the article in what is this from Bloomberg? Yeah, by a professional economist, Tyler Cowen. Uh, and the title in in fairness, so here they the author doesn't necessarily give the title and subtitles to their pieces. So I don't know if that guy Christian had anything to do with what the reasons titling was. And here, what they've given it to Tyler's pieces. Yes, there are rich men north of Richmond, and the subtitle says the actual US labor market is much stronger than the one depicted in Oliver Anthony's hit song. And uh, let's see. <laughs> so Tyler starts and he you know, sets the stage and says, the song reflects a dissatisfaction with current American life and working conditions. And Anthony yearns for leaders who will fight for America's workers rather than the wealthy. Who can argue with that? Well, let me try. All right. So that's kind of funny how, he, how Tyler's starting it up. Um, so before we start getting into the specifics, is there, do you want to, respond at all uh, to the the tenor or the tone of Tyler's piece? Well, it's it's very condescending. Um it's it's a different kind of condescension than the reason piece which is more just a uh, you know the, these people are are not worth your time to pay attention to them at all. Cowan is more well these people are just wrong and here's here's why. I would note that the one thing that permeates the whole article though is just the fact that uh Cowan never strays away from aggregation in the mm-hmm. sense of 
he's looking at, oh, here's the national number in terms of income growth. Here are the national numbers in terms of employment and never bothers to really make much of a nod to the fact that there are regional differences, there are differences in education level, and that maybe not everybody's doing equally well. And I, and it's always important to keep in mind, I mean, he when he says, well, let me try to argue against the working man, um, he's displaying some self-awareness, but I don't think enough. I mean, we're talking here about a uh, economics professor well ensconced in a university, and these people have very easy lives and <laughs> do not work particularly hard. I know if you follow them on Twitter, every finals week they post about how hard they're working. Oh, my goodness, I had to stay up till nine Last night, grading papers, feel sorry for me. And right. some of them are joking, but well, I think some of them... Yeah, and they mock their students, too, about, you know... Oh, right, the oh, they mock up. students all the time, yeah. totally. Yeah. And it's like, why did you go into this profession if you don't like your job and you can't stand, you know, the students? So Right, that makes my skin crawl when they make fun of their own students. <laughs> uh, and, and so that just seems to be the, this attitude among a lot of these people. And so the fact that he now spends a thousand words... Uh, just kind of talking about how the economy's fine without even noting that, yeah, there are some significant groups here that aren't doing fine. Uh, it's just very problematic to me in general. So he um, he goes, so Tyler, he starts contrasting it like with the Dylan song on Hurricane about the, you know, the boxer. And then he says, oh, but things, so I, you get the sense that he's saying like, there's a role in these folksy singers do a good job highlighting you know particular cases of injustice but the problem is he's saying when they turn to more broadly economic issues then they go off the rails because understandably you know they're not trained economists and in particular so he brings up examples like Bruce Springsteen's song My Hometown um and he's saying that uh yeah like the 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 factories leave or whatever but you know that's arguably showering benefits elsewhere and so on da, 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 da. okay now, uh, my concern here, or my problem with what Tyler's doing, is he, he switches. I'll just read just a little bit so people understand where he's coming. He says, now consider the Richmond North of Richmond. The song starts with a variety of complaints about low wages in the labor market. It is not mentioned that labor markets have been relatively tight as of late and job creation has been strong. And So, I mean, just off the, you know, right off the bat, just that's sort of ludicrous when you hear the song. And then to say it is not mentioned that labor markets have been relatively tight as of late and job creation has been strong. It's uh, so, yes, Oliver Anthony, he did say like bull SHIT pay, you know, that was that's one of the things. But I went through and just documented all of the phrases. So it's he talks about how, you know, he doesn't like the new world as compared to his old soul. So I think he's like alluding to the new world order. He talks about the rich men north of Richmond who want total control. They want to know what you think and know what you do. Um, and so, again, th there's there's that element. He's specifically saying the dollar isn't worth, you know, a poop anymore and that it's taxed to no end. So all these things, he's not merely saying, hey, the rich are getting richer. That's not fair. No, every like when you try to get boil it down to the specific complaints, he's also talking about taxes supporting um, welfare recipients who don't need it while there are starving people in the streets. Okay. So it's all political things. And it's, um, it, it's not just like, Oh, there's outsourcing or something or oh, automation made me lose my job. Boo hoo. It's not, it's nothing like that. All of these specific things are things that like free market, Austria, you know, certainly Austrian, but you know, broadly libertarian types would agree that. Yeah. 
the, it, it's wrong for the government to have control of the money supply and be, you know, to inflate the currency. That there's a sense in which that's redistributing wealth away from the working person. And, and taxes, obviously, taxation is theft. Okay, so um, I, I guess my what I'm trying to get across right is it's not that Oliver Anthony is opposed to you know I, I haven't listened to that Bruce Springsteen song in a while, but he's he's not just lamenting general economic forces that hey if you knew about how the free market works you wouldn't complain because there's winners and losers. No, he's the stuff in this song that he's specifically complaining about are all examples of government intervention. And so it's it's not that, oh, yeah, these rubes don't understand the free market like we do. Like, no, he's not complaining about a market outcome. He's complaining about inflation and taxes. Yeah, he's talking largely about the cost of living. And so uh, Cowan then switches it to the tight labor market and matters of economic growth and that sort of thing. But that's not even really what he's complaining about. Uh, you can have tight economic conditions and inflation. And a standard of living going down uh, in real terms. And we could know it. I mean, we've documented this on Mises.org. The real average wage, according to the Fed's, the federal government's own data, went down for 24 months from much of 21 uh, through uh, the first half of 23. And it's only now starting to actually go up after two years of the average wage going down. And of course, that's an average. So of course, if you have a master's degree, an MBA or a doctor or so on, your income was probably going up. But if you're a high school grad uh, or just a couple of years of college, your income was going down even more than that over that 24-year uh, month period. And you're not like recovering now. You're just thankful that things are starting to flatten out in terms of the cost of living. And so just to pretend that that wasn't the, the main issue being discussed in this song strikes me as a bit disingenuous. And, and what's he going to do? Claim that the, the, the cost of housing is going down for regular people? Is Cowan have a, is going to, he's going to have us believe that? Uh, for most people, that is not the real experience. Oh, but he offers an easy solution. That is, oh, well, if you live in a small town like uh, this guy who wrote the song, uh, Oliver Anthony, just move. That yeah. was <laughs> let, let me read it just because it's people want to make sure so people know that you're not being unfair to Tyler. He is just that smug here. Anthony lives in the distant rural town of Farmville, Virginia, whose population is below 8,000 and which has a per capita income of roughly $13,000. No one should force him to leave, but if he truly wants a higher real wage, I have some words of wisdom from John Mellencamp. A job in a small town, quote, provides little opportunity. Or, as Ray Charles put it more imperatively, hit the road, Jack. So <laughs> I, I, it's a combination of, you know, uh, Tyler trying to be cool, but also, again, missing the point that it's people from around the world are chiming in and agreeing, you know, so this isn't. And like you say, it's not that he's complaining, wow, unemployment's 12 percent. And then we're saying, hey, no, it's not. Haven't you looked at the figures from the BLS or whatever? Like that, that's not the complaint. And uh, also, too, even on its own terms, he's clearly complaining about the recent rise in the cost of living. So it's not, his, you know, he shouldn't have to move because the Fed printed a bunch of money like that. Right. It's it's. Uh, and if you you grew up dirt poor and your parents did nothing for you and you don't have much of an education to show for that. 
um, you're just you're just supposed to be expected to just roll with the punches as the federal government screws you over again and again in terms of money supply inflation and regulation that puts you out of business, not to mention lockdowns, all of these things. Hey, quit complaining. Things are fine. And not to mention the fact, right, I bet I bet Oliver Anthony um, uh, could move if he wanted to. He probably actually, given his talents, could make a decent living in any number of places. He obviously has some savvy in terms of audiovisual production and all of that sort of stuff. Fine. But uh, so we're supposed to believe now that some elderly person on a fixed income who's lived in this community for 30 years and all of their friends and their entire social support network is in that town, that that person should just move? And by the way, move to just some random area that has has a higher median income? How would that even help that person? It wouldn't. And it's too late for them to do anything to really combat the issue of rising inflation and rising cost of living. Maybe her, uh, maybe granny's um, property taxes are also going up because of home price inflation. And oh, she should just move. You know, quit. Uh, things are fine. Uh, it's just really bizarre position to, uh, to take. And it. And believe me, I would say if you live in a place that's truly depressed and there are no jobs to be had, you really should consider moving. Um, and and that is sometimes the only way to self-improvement. But just to, just to say that as a blanket thing that don't complain, just move, uh, that, it's kind of despicable, really, to just say that and act like anybody at any point in life or demographic group that that's just no big deal. Uh, and to be told that by a college professor, too, um, it just uh, <laughs> it, it annoys me, uh, to say the least. And and really just to expand on the regional differences here, I actually ran the numbers and I was uh, inspired by this by an article I wrote in 2016 after Trump was elected. Did, I looked wait, did at, you say you were inspired by your own article? Yeah. OK, <laughs> you're the, the wind uh, beneath your wings. Okay. That's right. <laughs> really proud of myself. And uh, you're like I, Ralphie in a Christmas story. You were just rereading. Like, wow, that's great. <laughs> That's right. I'm really pleased uh, with this 2000 article, 2016 article I wrote, where uh, I'm sure something else uh, other than me inspired that article. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what happened was I was just looking at the Electoral College map, and I was wondering why did these why did these states flip from Obama to Trump, and states like Wisconsin and Michigan and places like this, a lot of them were Rust Belt type states. And I'm like, okay, well, why, why the flip? And this was something that Michael Moore had pointed out. He's like, eh, you, you, you know, you, the, the common left-wing explanations for racism or whatever explaining Trump's election just doesn't make any, extent, uh, make any sense when you look at a lot of these states where it was blue-collar people who voted twice for Obama and then turned around and voted for Trump. So how do we explain that? And I looked at just some basic economic indicators based on different states And what we found was that a lot of these states that switched to Trump had actually been declining in terms of their median household income since 2000. So from 2000 to 2015, uh, the median household income in states like uh, Wisconsin and Michigan and probably Pennsylvania as well and other states that had flipped to Trump had actually gone down and were in negative territory over that time period. So to just sit back and say, well, because things are fine in some parts of the country, that things just must be fine in general because the average is fine, I think illustrates just sort of the lack of rigor that Cowan is putting into this. And so I ran the numbers again, looking at, okay, how about since 2008? 
Because there have been some good analysis on, well, ever since the Fed started inflating the money supply, doing all of their uh, monetary interventions, um, what I did, I I reviewed a book by Karen Petru uh, called Engine of Inequality, where she looked at ever since the the Fed started intervening everywhere, how's inequality doing? And she found it's doing very bad in lots of places, especially in flyover country. And what, so I ran the numbers since 2008. Gee, where, what are states doing in terms of their median household income? And what we found was that in West Virginia, no surprise, it's actually down 15%. In Nevada, it's down 9%. New Mexico, down 8%. Arkansas, down 5%. Mississippi, down 4.5%. And we can look at a few, at several half a dozen states where it's basically zero growth uh, over the last um, 10 years almost, or 15 years actually. And, Gee, look at look at the state that has or the region that has the highest growth during that time here. It's District of Columbia with 36 percent growth. Um, and interestingly, uh, Virginia isn't even in the top 20. It's actually in the bottom 20 with 3.5 percent growth over that 15 year period since 2008. So we see huge differences when you got Oregon with 24 percent growth in uh, median uh, household income over that period, but you're looking at negative 15% in West Virginia. Well, to just come out and then say that, oh, well, the country's in general fine because look, the, the national average for uh, median wage growth and so on is fine over a certain X period, which uh, it actually isn't particularly good, but we could look at, oh, the tight labor market. Yep, it's tight in some places and it's very not tight in others. And so maybe we should take into account the fact that uh, not everybody's just doing swell. Yeah, exactly. And And again, it's as, as we've said, he wasn't complaining, saying, I can't find a job. He was complaining, saying, I'm working all these hours, but the pay is, you know, inadequate. And he used a more colorful, colorful term. Um, also, too, this this issue on taxes, this ties in. What I'm going to try to do here, folks, is give some free, unsolicited advice to right wingers, let's call them, who just reflexively, anytime the left brings up some complaint, the right wingers need to say no that that not only is your solution your proposed solution wrong but your diagnosis is wrong too and everything you, you know you're just 100% wrong on everything and so here's an example that Tyler is saying um there are also complaints about taxes referring to Oliver's song but it doesn't point out that low wage americans typically do not pay much federal income tax for instance americans with annual incomes below 30,000 Dollars filed 65.6 million tax returns in 2020, and they received a net of 78.6 billion from the IRS once refundable credits are counted. Okay, so uh, yeah, I understand. You know, especially if you're having some discussion about tax policy, you gotta know what the numbers are and such. But I don't think right wingers or fans of the free market, whatever, should be telling working Americans that you benefit from the existence of the taxation system. And that if really, if you think about it, you're, you're a net winner when it comes to taxes. Because no, what Tyler was narrowly focusing on there was federal income tax. That doesn't count the withholding you know, for Social Security and Medicare. It doesn't count sales tax. It doesn't count property taxes. If, you know, all of the other taxes that there are, it doesn't count any of that stuff. And so even for those people that he's talking about, and, and I know we get into this and you know and i've been guilty of this two years ago where you start getting into arguments about when people when the left says the rich don't pay their fair share and yes you want to run to the statistics and you can really make a great case if you just look at federal income tax to show well no the top 1% pay you go through all that stuff but still if some working class guy or some singer who's 
lamenting the fate of modern working class people is complaining about taxes. I think people on the right who are, you know, foes of government intervention should say, bravo, sir. You're, you know, you're not blaming competition. You're not blaming, blaming capitalism. You're blaming taxes. Good for you. You're right. Taxes are bad. They make you poorer. <laughs> instead of, well, actually, you kind of get a net refund if you think about it. Well, and that's just the income tax, which uh, they, which doesn't include the withholding tax, as you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the eleven percent withholding tax is split between employer and employee, and played in total by a self-employed person. Uh, that's a flat tax on all income, right? Nobody's exempted from this. Anyone who's learning, who's earning legal wages. And it it always annoys me when people talk about taxes and income and just magically leave that part out. And to leave it out implies that you agree with the federal government's contention that you get it all back for through Medicare and Social Security or something. Right. Yeah. Those are just like contributions into your savings or your retirement or something. Right. Account that's yeah. It's as opposed to a general tax into the general fund that we could spend on you know, other things. Right. And it's a tax and the return quote unquote that you get on it is terrible when you count. I bet Cowan himself has written articles to the effect of, Oh, if you had privately invested this money that was taken from you through the withholding tax, you'd have much more in returns than if it was forced to go into the social security fund. Uh, because everybody knows that who has a job like Cowan's. And so he's just pretending here. Like that's just not an issue at all. Yeah. And, And this ties more generally to the reason I'm, uh, so worked up about this is I've noticed this in the last few months where um, I, again, so the pattern is like left wingers will complain about something. And then the right wing, instead of saying, okay, we understand. And, and it's getting traction with the public and the right, instead of saying, okay, why is it, you know, if, if this is a big deal, apparently to people, let's not just be haughty and think they're all idiots. And let's try to figure out what exactly is driving this, you know, angst. And then, you know, maybe there's, a, a government intervention, you know, if you're someone who's reflexively anti-government or whatever, that often you can say, okay, yeah, that's a real thing, but you know what government intervention either caused it or is making it worse. And certainly the solution is not more government for this particular thing. So fair enough. But the one I have in mind is, and maybe you've seen this, Ryan, too, is a big thing people lately have been arguing about are there's various measures of labor compensation versus productivity. And so there's some charts floating around put out by like, I think they're called the Economic Policy Institute. It's EPI is the acronym. I don't remember what it stands for. And it shows like, oh, in the early 70s, there was this divergence between what they're calling productivity and then wages or something, real weight. And there's different ways of breaking it down. But in my response has always been to say, okay, what happened in the early 70s? Nixon went off the gold standard. And and so, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with telling workers, yeah, the reason there's this wedge now between what you've been doing and the returns you're getting is because there's this class of people on Wall Street and connected with the government that are, in a sense, getting a, ahead of the line and getting that new money before you are. And, and by the way, I'm not just making stuff. I did like a little model in a, in a journal article one time to to demonstrate this stuff, right? So you can model this, whatever. But and the, the but people don't like that. And they get mad and, you know, Gene Epstein, he's a buddy of mine and he's been he lecturing me, taking me out to the woodshed. And partly how they push back is to say, well, the measure these people are using, that's just real wages. It's leaving out compensation. OK, but in a saying, way, even there, what that means then is so like high level executives who are getting stock options and things like that's partly what's driving, you know, total compensation is higher than just the real quote wage, but also health insurance. And so, yeah, for an average working family. 
if if part of your compensation over the years, like a bigger portion of it has been the employer is paying health insurance premiums on your behalf. I mean, that's not nothing, but it's, it's not like you're living high on the hog that for a lot of these plans, it's still the case that you have a huge deductible and that health or, you know, medical prices are ridiculous. And so you still feel like you're living paycheck to paycheck and you can't get ahead. And, oh my gosh, if my kid gets sick or something, or God forbid, we have to call an ambulance that that's going to be a thousand dollars right out right there. And the employer, you know I mean? So their, their wages are not keeping up with the cost of living uh, in terms of going to the grocery store and buying stuff. And then, yeah, they've got this, the employer paying for their health insurance premiums, but it's not that, oh, so now we're not worried about healthcare costs. Like that, that's just not what's happening. And for people just to be showing these charges. So see, actually you're up 87% since 1980. I it just, not only do I think it's, it's wrong, but it's just so tone deaf. Well, I, I know exactly the chart you're referring to and it, uh, to, to pretend that, the, there, what something didn't go wrong in the economy in the 1970s uh, is uh, pretty blind, uh, in my opinion. The, the, the challenge is to figure out what it was that went wrong, and you were trying to do that with your own explanation of that chart. And I've spent just in my role as an editor, I spent years trying to get people to stop saying that the United States has a free market healthcare system. This is something that right wingers have said for a long, long time. Right? Is every time some new healthcare regulation is introduced, they're like. Well, we like it just the way it is with our free market health care. Well, that hasn't, that hasn't really existed since the 40s. And ever since then, it's just gotten worse and worse. And every time they pretend that the United States has a free market health care system, all it does is then set it up so that any criticism of current problems in the economy can be blamed mm-hmm. on the free market. Because haven't you noticed we have this totally laissez-faire economy because all these right-wingers are telling me we've got this free market uh, economy here in America, which of course we don't have at all. And I think it's only really in the last few years that people have started to finally realize it's so not free market that maybe I should stop referring to the U.S. economic system as free market. But that was that's a fairly recent phenomenon. I mean, I just spent years trying to – I was taking that out of articles because people would say, oh, don't do this regulation because it will mess up our free market uh, industries and things like that. I mean, what are you even talking about? They should be writing articles examining how the – tens of thousands of pages of regulation are screwing up what hasn't been a free market healthcare system, you know, a relatively free market health system at all in decades. Uh, but they just fail to mention that. They think this is all like a recent phenomenon where something just just went wrong a few years ago. Oh, it's Obama's fault, right? Everything mm-hmm. went wrong with Obama. And uh, so it's just it's a very short sighted. There's still a lot of people out there who think that the inflation of the 1970s was caused by Jimmy Carter and had nothing to do with price controls or the massive inflations that occurred under Nixon. They just don't possess the deeper knowledge. And so they're making terrible arguments and they have this weird reflexive need to just say that the the status quo is fine or at least was fine until recently. And that's just not helping anybody. Yeah, I agree entirely. It's so this raises an interesting question just for, you know, our intellectual honesty that because I've I've noticed that pattern, too, that sometimes um, we we want to be careful and not when it comes to a matter like, oh, gee, how come the U.S. had a higher standard of living than the Soviet Union? And we'll say markets, baby, capitalism for the win. Yeah, go commies suck. But then, like you say, whenever there's a particular, when someone blames, oh, okay, you know, like some leftist complains about 
uh, for-profit medicine in the United States and my sister can't get a kidney transplant and da da da, da she's on the streets begging. And then people say, oh, yeah, we don't have a free market, idiot. Da, da, da. And so I am concerned that in some cases, like, that our team, we hold up the United States as this bastion of free market capitalism when that helps our argument. But then if it looks bad, then we say, what are you talking about? It's not a free market. Like, I'm worried that we're doing the same thing that the communists would do with the, oh, the so well, Stalinism. I mean, that's not, that's not true communism. That's Stalinism. That's not what we mean. I totally agree. Yeah. It's important to not use the no true Scotsman argument when talking mm-hmm. about uh, markets, right? Of course, the United States has always been better off than the Soviet Union because it has more markets. It's relatively a more market economy. And anywhere, it's a sliding scale, right? Anywhere there's more market economy action going on, people are better off. This is, uh, you can demonstrate this in Latin America, in Europe, in the, in Asia. It's, it's true. And it absolutely is not true that uh, you have to reach the point of total laissez-faire before the benefits of market economies can be felt. Not true at all. Just a slight lessening up of state controls like occurred in China under Deng Xiaoping can bring in massive amounts of wealth. You wouldn't call China laissez-faire, but 1980s China was way better off than 1960s China because it was relatively more laissez-faire. And yeah, that's important to keep in mind. You can't just say, Oh, well, (laughs) you can't expect things to be good because we don't have a 100% laissez-faire system. No, you need to understand how it works and note that, yeah, anything that's more laissez-faire is going to work better. So, yeah, always make that distinction. None of this whole not true capitalism arguments, because first of all, we don't need that argument. And secondly, it's not true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you and I are on the same page with that, that that, right. We we do need to be careful that we're not committing the same rhetorical move is when the, the commies do it that we don't like it because we're thinking, hey, that's just moving the goalposts. And you're right, too, that our position is not, hey, you need to have Rothbardian anarcho-capitalism to see the benefits, but if you have just 1% less of that, then the whole system collapses and you have tyranny. That That's not our position at all. It's like, oh, if you want to cut taxes in half, that would be great. It'd be better if you cut them to zero, but yeah, cut them in half by all means. Or you want to shrink you know, this this particular government program by 50% of the spending? Yep, let's do it. That'll be better, you know, that sort of thing. Um, there, I mean, there there can be weird cases where, um, like I remember, for example, the so-called deregulation of the energy markets in California, and it led to a bunch of problems. And, and there it was a weird thing where, they, if I remember the details right, it was something like they allowed for in the um, the wholesale market, they lifted effectively the price controls and they just let supply and demand set electricity prices in the wholesale market, but they kept the price controls, the regulations in place for the retail end because they were afraid, you know, we don't want some homeowner, all of a sudden their electric bill goes from $300 a month to 3000 you know, people are going to flip out. So those prices, and then economists were warning ahead of time, okay, but if you do that, you're going to get rolling blackouts. What do you think is going to happen if you know, in other words, if the wholesale price is allowed to go way above the retail price, a lot of people are just a lot of you know the mid level producers are just going to stop. And so, what, what do you think is going to happen? And so, but I can see how the left they can see they're like, oh, you guys said more markets, and we 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 relaxed this, and you said, oh, but it wasn't enough because there was still right. So I, I get it how in certain cases it looks like we are you know being obnoxious, and if it doesn't, if it blows up in our face, oh well, we didn't get full laissez faire, so that's why it didn't work, but. Again, even that particular example, economists ahead of time were warning, if you just deregulate those particular markets, it's going to be rolling blackouts. What do you think is going to happen? 
<laughs> so. Yeah, free coinage of silver is like a related issue too, mm -hmm. right? Where, oh, we'll just free out the market and let the market work on people can coin silver or dig all the silver they want out of the ground, and that'll be fine. But of course, that, that ended up creating all sorts of weird boom and bust situations and People, places turned into ghost towns when the government stopped essentially subsidizing the price of silver because bimetallism isn't when the government sets this ratio in difference between gold and silver. That's not like actually a free market in silver, but people just people miss some of those details. And so then it looks like, oh, look, you you let the markets have this uh, this metal based money system and ever how look how all these imbalances that resulted and all sorts of stuff went haywire. It's our job to explain those situations as as to uh, as to why that didn't work or what the problem was. And that's what we're in the business for. So we got to keep doing that and explain those sorts of things, because you're right. People do use those as explanations of why we can't have a money based uh, or a metal based money, because look what happened in the 1890s and things like that. And um, so we just have to fight that. I, I really like this podcast because we start out talking about this folk song and now we're talking about bimetallism. I mean, really, <laughs> I don't know any other podcast where that's going to happen. Uh, so do you have any final thoughts, Ryan, as we wrap up here on uh, the discussion about the song? Well, I would just say that, right, we at the Mises Institute, we're not like perma bears or anything like that. We're not going to take issue with every little thing that suggests that the economy isn't terrible in every possible way. But if you were going to take exception to some rural guy with a folk song saying that times are hard and then use a bunch of aggregated government averages to say that everything's fine, um, that's that's not good economics at all. And uh, you probably just shouldn't write that column. Yeah, so we're giving free advice now to some people out there in the D.C. circuit. Rich men who happen to live north of Richmond in many cases. I don't know where uh, Christian lives. Uh, so thank you, Ryan, for your time and your insights, as always. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Check back next week for a new episode of the Human Action Podcast. In the meantime, you can find more content like this on Mises.org. <laughs>